Well, good morning, everyone, and I welcome each one of you here to bring Calvary Chapel. And um, it's such a wonderful thing to know Jesus Christ, isn't it? Because life is so uncertain, and we never know from one day to the next when the Lord's going to call us home. And what a beautiful thing to know that we have a promise from God. Because as much as we might have certain enjoyments in this life, it can't compare to heaven, can it? And a few announcements, I just want to mention that on May 31st, Sunday, May 31st, we'll be having our first public worship, and we invite all of you uh, to come if you're able to, and if you're comfortable with doing that. And uh, then on June 7th, the following Sunday, we're going to have a church picnic, just kind of a chance to celebrate being back together again. Because as um, thankful as Pastor Frank and I are of having... um, Chuck and Todd taking care of all of this uh, video ministry and and the fact that it gets out there to all of you, there's nothing like that personal fellowship and also having our time of worship together. So we long for that day, and we really miss you guys. So this morning we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 21, starting with verse 1. Numbers 21, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for your love that you have so freely given to us, a love that surpasses all understanding. And we ask, Heavenly Father, as we break open this portion of Scripture, it would instruct us and encourage us in our walk with you, because you alone are worthy. And so, Heavenly Father... Come and minister your love to us through your word, I pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, this is such an amazing portion of Scripture because it is not only a prophecy about the crucifixion, as it is, but it is an encouragement for us concerning the battles we're going to be facing. The minute you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you enlisted in his army you became a soldier of the cross. And he has battles for us, not only to engage in, but to have victory over. Excuse me. So we are in Numbers chapter 21, and I'm going to read, we're going to read together verses 1 through 9. The king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on uh, on the road to uh, Atharim, I mean, Uh, Then he fought against Israel, and he took some of them prisoners. So Israel vowed, made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of the place is called Hormah. Uh, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor to the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out, uh, out out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, for our souls souls loathe this worthless bread. Can you imagine the bread from heaven, the bread God gave them? They said they loathed it. How how sad that is. Verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. 
Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, we have to understand that Arad um, likely attacked because of the fact that they kowtowed to the Edomites. And that's in Numbers chapter 20, verse 14. They already kowtowed to him. And remember, Edom, these were the, the descendants of Esau. They're actually brothers of Israel, in, in a sense. And they said, you know, let us go through, and we won't do this, and we won't do that. And Edom just said, no, no, no. And they kowtowed to Edom, you know, just so completely that I think it gave the Canaanites encouragement. Look, at, they're just cowards that we can go against them and have the victory. We have to realize that when we turn from an enemy, Satan knows it, and that's going to be the very area in which he attacks us. Satan doesn't attack us in our strengths. He attacks us in our weaknesses. And so, therefore, when we find that there are areas of our life that we continually, you know, backpedal on, areas of our life that we show fear and an unwillingness to move forward, those are the areas Satan's going to come after. And that's why it's so important for you and I, brothers and sisters, to take time to be in the Word, to be in prayer, and, and possibly look specifically at those areas where we have weaknesses, that God would strengthen us, that instead of being areas of weakness, weakness in our life, they might become areas of strength, because Satan will not attack against our strengths, only our weaknesses. We have to realize that when these people repented, God then gave them the victory, shows the love of God. You know, they said, oh, we have sinned, forgive us, and God gave them the victory. And the same thing is true with us. We might have area of our lives that we seem to be taken down in over and over again, but the reality is if we repent, God gives us the victory. And I love, you know, my favorite portion, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, what is that purifying process? It's victory. We're no longer taken down by this. We're no longer susceptible to this. We have victory. Now, because of their change of heart, their trusting in the Lord and not their fears, this was only the first of many victories that they would win. When these children went into Canaan, when they crossed over into the promised land, we find when they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, they had victory after victory after victory because they trusted the Lord. And you know what? He still gives the victory to those of us that repent. Now, consider how many victorious battles the Lord desires for us to have, just like for them. I mean, are we kowtowing? Are we turning back from? Are we unwilling to go in and face the battles the Lord has for us? He has many victories for us if we're just willing to take that step forward. The Lord has just given them a, a great victory in their fear, not trusting God, 
And now they're attempting to avoid Edom again, we're going to find out in the next portion. And how sad it is because they did have victory over the Canaanites because they went into battle with them. But Edom, they not only kowtowed, but even after having this, this victory over the Canaanites, they still kowtowed and went around Edom. And that is not a good thing to do because I think all of us are aware of the fact that we can identify with this. I don't know how many times over the years all of us have kowtowed to some area of our life. We just didn't want to face it. We just didn't want to deal with it. And it doesn't cause the problem to go away. In fact, in some ways, it can make the problem even worse. And uh, I came to realize the hard way that it's much more important to trust God than to turn from conflict. And I still deal with it. But you, you, you all know what I'm talking about. There are so many times that we don't want to confront a certain problem. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to, you know, the, all the headaches that go along with it. And then it ends up causing more problems. It's better to confront a problem head on and have the victory with the Lord than to find it'll come around and defeat us from behind. You know, um, God gave them the victory over the king of Arad, the Canaanites, after and only after they repented. And now because of their fear of Edom, once again, they're trying to avoid a fight. And I think it's important for us to understand because they tried to avoid this fight with Edom, that's when the children of Israel started complaining again, oh, if we're still in Egypt, oh, why did you bring us out into this desert to die? And this, we'll find, is the eighth time that they murmured against God and it's the last time they murmured against God. It's the eighth and last time. Then they go into the promised land, and they had victory over victory over victory. And so we have to realize that because of their murmuring at this point, the Lord sent serpents in to get rid of the troublemakers. Those that were murmuring, the serpents attacked. And the fact is, because Moses set up the staff in the wilderness with uh, you know, a bronze serpent on it, the victory was there. So even if you were bitten by a serpent, all you needed to do was to look at the serpent on the staff and you would live. So the victory was there if they would just take it. But how many, after they were struck with the serpents, rather than looking up at the staff with the serpent on top that Moses had placed in the middle of the camp, rather than do that, they just cursed God and died. It's amazing to me. And we don't know how many died um, by the serpents. And some speculate this might be where many of those died who were um, 20 and over when they refused to go into the promised land, you know, some 38 years ago. And uh, so that's, some people think, because they were the murmurers, they were the grumblers, they were the ones that were unwilling to trust the Lord. So many speculate that they might have been some of those struck by the serpents who were unwilling to look at the sacrifice of God and they died in the wilderness. And... Um, I think it's sad that many don't uh, respond to the Lord until they experience the outcome of their unbelief. You know, those that were bit, then they responded to the Lord and, and they, they were saved. But the reality is, it is sad that many don't respond to the Lord until they experience the outcome of their rebellion, but at least they turn to the Lord. And... The thing I'm getting at is when difficulty comes into a person's life, maybe that's all the Lord trying to 
get their attention and to bring them to himself or to bring them back to themselves. Because there are only two responses uh, that we can have to God's discipline. We can suffer the consequence or we can confess and we can repent. One brings death, the other brings life. So when we have difficulties that come to our life, we can either complain and murmur and grumble and then we just die. Or when, when difficulty comes to our life and we know it's our fault, we confess and we repent, we repent, we say, forgive us, Jesus. We look to, to the Lord, lift it up high and lift it up, and we're healed. It's amazing. And that's why in Romans 10, 12, I love what it says. For whoever, that means whoever, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we have to understand that confession and repentance doesn't exempt us from discipline. In fact, it is often discipline that causes us to repent. You know what I'm saying? There's not too many of us that are out there involved in some kind of sin or rebellion against God, and, and we just, you know what, I'm just going to repent. A lot of times it is the discipline of the Lord that, that he brings on us that causes us to cry, God, forgive me, a sinner. And therefore, we should be thankful at those times when the Lord disciplines us. Because Scripture tells us the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And if you're not disciplined, you're not his. So when you find yourself being disciplined by the, God, by the Lord God, recognize you're his, and he desires to forgive you. And um, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, it says, Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Think about it. I mean, discipline never, never feels good. But if the Lord can use it to train, it's such a beautiful thing. Just think of, of, uh, of parents. A good parent, I'm talking about a good parent, never disciplines their child just to be mean or to show that they have authority. They discipline their child so that their child won't be hurt. They discipline their child so that they'll know how to live life without life destroying them. And so discipline never feels good at the moment, but it works a beautiful thing if we're willing to um, learn by it. Now, let's take a look at the obvious analogy that we have here. This fiery serpent, of course, represents Satan and sin. And the fiery serpent, brothers and sisters, has come into this world, represented by, you know, represents Satan and sin, and has struck every one of us. Every one of us have, have been struck with the sin nature. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the obvious things. And the bronze serpent, serpent being fashioned and placed on a pole and lifted up represents our Lord Jesus Christ being lifted up for our sin. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and verses 14 through 17, it says this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved." 
What an analogy this is. And in this portion of John, it's telling us that is exactly what it's about. As Moses lifted up the serpent, so Jesus was lifted up. And it's interesting because um, some people question, why would they fashion a serpent if the serpent represents Satan and sin? Why would they fashion that and put it up on a pole? Because when Jesus was lifted up, remember, he took all of our sin upon himself. Literally, our sin was upon him. And so we look to Jesus on the cross, and we, th we say, thank you, Jesus, for taking my sin. Because you've taken my sin, I'm forgiven. That's the glory and the majesty and the wonder of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says this, For he made him, talking about Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about that. I don't know about you, I've never had a problem recognizing that I was a sinner. There's never been a time where, where I sat around or stood around and said, gee, it's just hard for me to remember some sin I might have committed. All I have to do is think about two seconds ago. We have to understand we need to recognize that we're sinners because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet he who knew no sin at all took our sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Think about this, brothers and sisters. We, as sinners, we are now in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God. His spirit is in us. The righteousness of God, the Holy Spirit dwells within our heart, within our cardiac, our inner man, and now we are the righteousness of God to the world. We are the light that is set upon a hill. We're the light on a stand. And we're to shine that light to all around us. Because we have to understand that anyone who looks to the work of the cross, Jesus, taking all of our wretched sin upon himself, will be saved from this world. Remember what it tells us. For God so loved the world. This is John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How amazing is that? That the world through him might be saved. I mean, just think of how fragile life is. You know, we just had news that uh, a brother of ours Young, in comparison to me, has um, gone to be with the Lord. Life is fat, fragile. None of us has a guarantee of tomorrow. Not one of us. Not one single one of us. And therefore, how important it is for us, not only personally, to have the righteous, righteousness of God dwelling within us, have that hope within us, but how important to share that with others. Because anyone who dies without Jesus Christ does not have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, eventually that person will be cast into the fires of hell. And so <clears throat> we have a commission, brothers and sisters. We have an important commission to go out and to share our faith every opportunity we have a chance. And so, brothers and sisters, once again, if you're watching today and you're not saved, this is your day of salvation. Confess your sin. 
Ask Jesus to forgive you and to come in and take over your life. It's that simple, and he will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you would bless the things that we have heard this morning, that we might become the righteousness of God and to be his witnesses everywhere we go. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.